This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs is in his 41st year as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. I wanted to tell you what a great service you provide to this community. I listen to your show every week. Thank you for what you do for our community, for all the parents, coaches, and athletes. And now, here's your host, rated one of the best therapists in Kansas City, Missouri, by OnlineTherapy.com, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and welcome to our show here at Sports Radio 810 WHB here in Kansas City. As you know, I'm here every Sunday morning from 7 to 8 a.m., and we talk about the mental side of sports on this show. I'm in my 43rd year of work as a sports psychologist, 32nd year on the radio the last 22 years here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. And I love doing this show with you every week because we talk about the mental side of sports. I'm one of the very first trained sports psychologists in the country, and I've had the privilege to work with athletes across the board from Little League all the way up to the Olympic and professional level, having been the uh, team psychologist for USA Cycling back in the 80s. In 1984 Olympics, we won nine medals, hadn't won any in 72 years. I was one of the first sports psychologists in baseball at the Kansas City Royals in 1990. Worked at the University of Kansas. I've worked with all kinds of teams and colleges. Currently working sports psychologist for the Kansas City Current of the NWSL. You know, I do this show each week to bring out the topics of mental health, the topics of sportsmanship, the topics of mindsets in sports. And today, in the world of sports, mental health is finally, finally, finally become important. If you listen to the show, you know I've talked forever about why athletes are people. They have feelings. They have emotions. They deal with life, just like the rest of us. They may be physically superior than most of us, but they're still people. And we've seen over the course of the last several years, numerous professional, prominent professional athletes come out and talk about their struggles with depression, alcoholism, stress, pressure. We see the pressures that exist for athletes at the collegiate level, about playing time, about confidence, about self-esteem. There have been, unfortunately, so, so many uh, tragically awful things happen to a lot of athletes these, today. Most notably, the Stanford University female goalie committed suicide last year because of the way she felt the way she was being treated. We saw a gymnast at the University of Utah, Kara Aker, who's from the Kansas City area, quit the sport because of the stress and pressure she's faced. And so the importance of mental health has become more and more discussed and and prominent and talked about. I've had the privilege this past year to be working with the Kansas City Current of the NWSL, National Women's Soccer League. And one of the guidelines now in, in the NWSL is that all teams need to have a mental health professional on staff. So it's been a privilege to work with the team. I'm looking forward to continuing to work with them as time goes on. 
course, we signed a great new coach and uh, excited to meet him and get going with the team. And we've had a lot of interesting players on this team I've gotten to know. And one of them has taken the time out of her off-season, I will say, to join us this morning. Her name is Michelle Cooper. She was the second pick in the entire draft this past year. She's the Herman Award winner in her career at Duke. And she just completed her first year as a professional soccer player. Michelle's been kind enough to join us this morning. So, Michelle, how are you today? How are you doing? Hello. I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be on here and really excited to talk about all the things coming to light and my experience in NWSL and what a great year it has been working with you. Well, thank you very much. You, you know, you're a you, – I've worked with lots of athletes over, over my career and one of the things I enjoy about you is your enthusiasm and your zest. Um, when we meet, you know, we've, we've talked about all kinds of things, obviously, in, our, in the sessions we have. But at, at the facility, when I come to practice, one of the things I, I love about you is your smile, your zest. You, you, you're always on the go. And I can tell you, well, you're laughing. I, I know you want to learn and get better. And that's that's yep. one of the reasons you chose to, to talk to me. But let's talk about, first of all, your college career here for a little bit. What was it like to play at Duke and then to decide after your sophomore year to become professional? What brought that on and, and why did you make that decision? Oh, my gosh. Playing at Duke was amazing. I'm, like, partially torn, both upset and happy that I only got two years there. I mean, it's a blessing at the end of the day, and it was something I – really decided I needed to do to continue to grow as a player. Um, I wish my time could have been longer, but playing there was a stepping stone that I needed to take, and I grew so much. The players there helped me become stronger as um, physically, mentally, and emotionally possible as I could. Playing D1 college is not easy, especially at a university like Duke where you have the mental stress of both academics and athletics to uphold. How'd you, how'd you, was, let me interrupt you here. How, so how did you deal with that? Because, yes, you're correct. Duke is obviously uh, one of the top academic schools in the country uh, along yeah. the lines of, of where I went to Vanderbilt many other schools. How did you handle that? Because that's a big balancing act with academics oh. and athletics. Quite honestly, it was so difficult my first year, especially because you come in in the fall and you're playing soccer already. You don't have a semester to adjust to the college life, to classes, and then play season. You do it both right off the bat. And it was really hard. I made sure I had tutors for three of my five classes constantly just because my first semester I was taking Psych 101, which is one of our hardest classes. It just Oh, come on, Psych psych 101, you should be an expert at that. Oh, my gosh. It's just a massive load. It's so much information thrown at you in the class of 300 people. So it's not like you get to just ask questions. You sit in the back of the lecture room trying to write everything down as fast as you can. (laughs) And then I also took Chemistry 101, which also same thing. It was insane. Why did you take Chemistry your freshman year? I was extremely ambitious. I wanted to be a chem major. I... Then soon after realized that was not for me. <laughs> it was just too much. It was so much on my plate. And handling that mental stress, I made sure I had a lot of support around me, meaning tutors. I would talk to my coaches all the time if I needed more time outside of training, if I needed more time to 
work on things if I need the help in soccer because my mental stress from class was taking me over. And I made sure that I had a lot of support. They do a good job of making sure that you have people to help you with all of these stressors because they know that this is a thing. They know that the standard they want to uphold is really high and help is going to be needed to do that. Well, you were at obviously at, at one of the top academic schools in the country and yet playing at a high level of, of your sport. So the balance was really yep. important for you, wasn't it? Yes, extremely important. I made sure that when I wasn't doing class and when I wasn't focusing hard on soccer, that I was hanging out with my teammates, just getting away and having fun. We would go out to eat. We would go sightsee. We would watch the sunset. We would do anything to just get our minds off of all the stresses that we had around us and just relax. And obviously that helped you cope with that because, you know, you came in and you were highly thought of, you know, you're, wow, this is, you went to IMG, you're, you're a really stud yeah. player, everybody knows who you are. So what was that like to do with that pressure? I think my first year, I just went in with no expectations. I knew I was going to be a freshman. At the time, I still was thinking I was going to play four years there. So it's like, just take in everything I can and just learn. We had three fifth years on our team because of COVID. So it was more like, Learn from them, learn from the people who have been here, and see what you can do this year. Let's do the best that we can and walk in with no expectations. And no matter what, I'd be happy with the work that I put in. And my freshman year, obviously, I did unreal numbers. It was shocking to both everyone and me. But I was super happy with that. And going into my sophomore year, it was a lot more pressure to deal with. We had fifth years gone. We had a lot of our starting players left and new freshmen, and it was a lot different coming in as someone who has been there for a year and knows the expectation that needs to reach and knows the effort that needs to be put in to be as successful as we were the year before. And it was a lot more fun, honestly, coming in in a role where I was experienced and could take more of a lead on with the team and push the level for the people around me, both mentally, physically, emotionally. And we did just as well the following year, if not better. And individually, I did better numbers than I did the year before. And handling that pressure was trying not to focus on it, trying not to focus on the numbers, trying not to focus on the people around me, what they're doing, the girls at the other schools, and just kind of putting my head down and working because it's all about what happens when – you aren't playing a game. It's all about what happens in training. It's all about what happens after training, the film that you do, the work that you do with your coaches. And I made sure to always take the time that I had outside of school whenever I didn't have homework or high class, that I was watching games, that I was watching practice, that I was meeting with teammates, meeting with my coaches, and making sure that I could be the best that I possibly could along with the girls around me. Well, obviously that happened because that led to you deciding to leave Duke after your sophomore year and become professional. And so, so what made that brought that decision about? What what made you decide? You know what? I think I want to move to the next level. Oh, it was such a hard decision. I talked with my coaches. I talked with my family. I talked to a couple teammates as well. And after my freshman year, I. I was quite impressed with how I played. Then I had the U-20 qualifiers, which I also played extremely well at. 
Um, I then after that summer had a different tournament for the national team. And right before we went into preseason, I had World Cup with the national team, which I also played extremely well at. So I, the past year, I had a bunch of events, which I shocked myself at how well I played. And I was like, wow, this is really, this is great. This is exactly what I needed to prep for college for D1. I went into my sophomore year, and it wasn't a thought on my mind yet. It was about the last one to two games where I was like, okay, maybe now this should be a thought. It was around Thanksgiving time where the pressure was kind of on, <laughs> where games end in about two weeks' time at that point, and the draft is in a month from then. And I was like, this is the first thought. This is the first time this thought has come to mind. How do I even deal with this? What is going on? I would talk with my family a bit at that point, and they were like, just see how it goes the last two games. Just make sure you want to do the best that you can. Don't even try and focus on this yet. Like, you still have season in front of you, which is the last thing I want to do. I don't want to decommit from something before it's even over. And I finished up my games, and it was a talk for about a week and a half following our last game, which was early December. And ultimately, I decided that it was best for me to go to the next level, not only to chase my dreams of being on the full national team and becoming one of the greatest players that I can, but for me mentally and right now, it was best for me to leave college and continue to grow in a different environment. I felt that I gave my everything to Duke in two seasons. It happened all, unfortunately, very fast. But, of course, school was a thing that I had to think about, and I knew I could always come back for my degree. And right now I wanted to chase a dream of being on the national team and becoming the next best player that I could. And doing that meant leaving, entering the draft, and thankfully I got picked up by Kansas City. Well, that's a a very difficult decision to make for, for a young person. And obviously, your family, your mother, your sister were involved in that. Your teammates, your coach were involved in that. But ultimately, it came down to you deciding to do that. So what yeah. was what was the final, I guess, decision or thought that, that was the impetus for you to, to go ahead and leave Duke and decide to enter the draft? There were a lot of factors that went into it. One of them, I will say, is there were seniors on our team like our starting goalie, we had a midfielder that were all deciding, juggling if they should stay for their fifth year or if they should leave as well and just go into the real world or go into the professional soccer world as well. And they both decided they were done with soccer. So that was one factor as well. Like a lot of people were just graduating, a lot of people were leaving, and we had more underclassmen at that point than we did upperclassmen, which was a challenge I was willing to take on. But my most important thing for me was, wanting to continue to grow and that was the toughest decision of my life i loved my time at duke i had so many good friends my teammates were absolutely amazing i loved my coaches not that i don't now at kansas city but it was home at that point and it was really difficult to make the decision to choose my soccer journey and continuing to develop over staying comfortable and knowing what I know and staying at Duke. And ultimately, it was just wanting to get better and wanting to continue to push the level and chase a dream. 
Today, my guest is Michelle Cooper. She's one of the stars of the Kansas City Current, the, our NWSL team here in Kansas City, and I'm having a great interview with her. If you'd like to join us, ask Michelle a question. Our phone number is 913-3810-810, 913-3810-810. We're going to go to our first break here, come back. We're going to talk about the change then from Duke to the professional world, what that's been like for her, how she's handled that, and she's done a great job of fitting in and finding her role with this team. But it's something I think that a lot of young athletes can learn from. Michelle's got this zest and enthusiasm of, of, of unlike almost anybody I've ever worked with, and it's been a pleasure getting to know her. So we're going to talk about that as we come back from our break. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. We're on the Leader in Sports, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Today I'm uh, joined by Michelle Cooper, one of the stars of the Kansas City Current here, our NWSL team. I've gotten to know Michelle this year as, as I'm the sports psychologist for the team. Lovely young woman, full of zest and enthusiasm, and she's taking the time to get up early and join me this morning. So thank you, Michelle, for doing that. I appreciate it. Of course. I'm enjoying myself. You know, you, you we talked about your career at Duke and then making the decision to go pro. So let's yeah. now talk about what that was like when you got drafted, the the whole draft experience, and then coming here and getting started. Let's get into that. What was that like for you? Well, it was absolutely surreal. I was lucky enough to be able to travel to the draft, and it was in Philadelphia. I went there with my mom. My agent came with me, and since I'm signed with New Balance, a couple of reps and people there came with me as well since they're headquartered in Boston. And I got there the day before. My mom and I just got to enjoy the city, take it in, walk around, the American banquet was happening at the same time, so we stopped by there, just looked around, saw a bunch of old friends and coaches that we knew. And it never really hit me <laughs> that the day after was going to be the biggest day of my life, pretty much. And I, when the day came around, I couldn't stop talking to my mom about how crazy this is, and I'm in denial, and this is insane. The morning that I did wake up, my mom and I went downstairs as we were having a conversation of how crazy this all is. Ran into my agent and just about every single coach you could think of in the league was down in the lobby eating breakfast as well. I was like, Mom, what is going on? Like, this is insane. All these people are people that you see on TV, people that you aspire to be coached by, people who coach players like Davinia on my team, like DeMarta. It's, it was insane. And as the draft came around, I started getting more and more nervous. That day I had a couple interviews I had to do with New Balance um, about the draft. And I just, it kept coming on and the nervousness kept building. And it's just crazy to think you have no idea where you're going. You have no idea what's going to happen because anything's possible. Although Dotham had the second pick, Kansas City ultimately ended up trading for that. And, it was literally the last second and a split second it happened. And these things happen. So I wasn't getting comfortable with where I was going to go Yeah, I had no idea what was going to happen. And hearing that last second Kansas City traded and I got to go get drafted there ultimately was absolutely surreal. I started, I hugged my mom as my name got called. And... <laughs> I was about to bawl my eyes out, and I was like, whoa, hold it together. (laughs) 
because I had to get up on stage. They were going to ask me a couple questions. I was like, my, my makeup. <laughs> I was like, Mom, stop crying. I'm going to start crying. My makeup's going to run. And in the video, you can see her just squeezing onto me for so long. I'm like, Mom, I have to go. I have to go. <laughs> it was absolutely hysterical. But that whole day was a whirlwind. The draft was absolutely insane. I think they did a great job of putting it on. And I couldn't be more grateful to the Kansas City staff and Cami for being picked. It's been an absolute honor, and this year was a complete journey, but I'm so incredibly grateful for it, and I'm really excited for next year. Well, the shock of getting drafted that early, did you expect that, or, or was that just, just sort of blew you away? Wow, I'm the second pick. No, I wouldn't say I expected it. I think I walked in with little to no expectations. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to build something in my head or write a narrative in my head and then be disappointed if something else came up. And I just walked in, like, I couldn't even believe I was there, you know. There were girls being enlisted in the draft that are 22, 23 years old, and I was, I just turned 20 at the time. My birthday was literally a month before. Just turned 20 at the time, and it was absolutely surreal to think that I was even there in the first place, you know, and hearing my name called that early was honestly the, the, one of the greatest things of my life. I, I couldn't have been happier with how everything has played out. So you get drafted, and then you, you come here to Kansas City. So yeah. tell us about the journey, to, you know, when you got here, what that was all like as you got started. Well, it was honestly really scary. <laughs> I... I trained with the Kansas City Current the summer before as a college player. You can train with any um, club that you would like, however it works out, just for a week or so. So I showed up, trained as a college player, and got to kind of know the environment. The facility wasn't a thing yet. They were still in, like, trailers at the time. So I was just there for a good time. But coming in as someone who was drafted, you're not yet signed with the club. You still technically have to try out. But as someone who was drafted, is a 180 of a lens. And going there, I was so nervous. I, these girls have dedicated their life to the sport, the people on the team. And it's a job. It's not a hobby anymore. It's a job. And we don't have any stressors outside of literally just playing and just showing up every day and getting your best. And knowing that was both a relief and even more a stressor, to be honest, thinking that literally 24-7 your life is dedicated to the sport now because you work. This is your job is surreal. And coming in in January was a bit nerve-wracking, to be honest. I was in a hotel room at the time for a bit because my apartment wasn't ready yet, and I was with all the other draftees, and we would talk, like, how crazy is this? Are you nervous for training? What are you thinking? How are you feeling? And we were only in Kansas for about a week before we headed down to IMG, and that's when it all started. That's when we ran our fitness. That's when we started training, and it was – I loved it. I enjoyed it entirely, and it was a challenge I was willing to take on. By no means was it easy. By no means was the fitness easy that we did, the – the team trainings that we did were the easy, especially in that Florida heat. It was unreal. But I had 
such a great time. I knew at that moment, my first training, that that was the place I needed to be. It was the challenge that I wanted, playing with some of the best players in the world. And it was incredibly hard and incredibly nerve-wracking, but I am really enjoying it, and I was so grateful that I got to be there. My guest today is Michelle Cooper, one of the stars of the Kansas City Current of the NWSL. She was the second pick in the draft last year, and we're talking about her adjustment. We've talked about her college career, and we're talking about her adjustment to the professional world. So you go to training camp down in Florida, then the team comes back here and get the season gets started. And then I, I was introduced to the team, you know, as you guys got started right before the season began. Um, the, the adjustment for you psychologically, what was that like? You know, I know I came to meetings, observed things in the meetings, and, and you were, you're a very outgoing, personable young lady. I, I, everybody yeah. knows you will say that. I'm not just saying that myself. But I noticed, and, and we've talked about this, you know, you, you were very quiet at first because I think you were trying to find your role on the team, weren't you? What was that like? I was. I was at first. Typically, when I came from Duke, that's where I'll start. When I came from Duke, I was extremely vocal from the get-go as a freshman. I, later in my season freshman year, took on more of a leader role. I wanted to be involved in things that typically as a freshman you're not, but I had the blessing of being able to play a lot and talking to the coaches often. So it made that a lot easier to be able to get into that role. And having that, I had always been very vocal. I'd always been a very pick someone up when they're down, keep someone up when they're up, a very much more of a leader role. Even when I was with the national team, I was named captain for both qualifiers, a tournament in Italy that we did, and for a World Cup. And I love being in that role. I love taking on that challenge and speaking for all the girls around me. I love knowing and being able to communicate between them and the coaches what we need, what we want, how we want to be better, and all of those things. I love taking on that role. And coming in as a rookie with all of these women who have been playing the game for eight to ten years longer than I have, I I knew that's the role I couldn't be doing. So I tried to sit back and just take it all in. And it was really difficult, to be honest. As the year continued to go on, I definitely got more vocal. I definitely talked to players a lot more. But at first I was so incredibly nervous because it's a, it's a job. And you basically, as you get drafted, you come into fight for a spot you fight for a job you fight for playing time and being so young just 20 and doing that with 26 year olds 28 year olds 24 year olds is incredibly boring. I guess it's it's scary and at first I was so nervous to even speak up in a meeting I was so nervous to even talk in training but if I weren't doing that I was struggling even more to find my way to find my place on the team. And I realized soon after that I needed to at least talk on the field and I needed to at least try and say something once in a meeting, which made my time a lot better. And as season went on, I then learned that it was okay to talk. It felt better once you were officially on the team than as a drafted, unsigned rookie too. Well, also for you, because you're, you're, you're naturally an extrovert. Um, yes. 
So it to was sit so there, difficult. yeah, to not speak up was was hard for you. Incredibly hard. It made it so much harder to find my way. But being naturally an extrovert just will make it even easier as I do get more comfortable, which is exactly what it did. So here you are now, a professional athlete. Your dream, this dream has has now happened. It's now reality. It's no longer a dream. It's reality. You're playing at, at the professional level. The team gets started, and you know three games into the year, the the coach is, is is there's a coaching change. There's a lot of adjustments. We had a lot of injuries when the when the year started out. What was it like for you to try to find your place and fit in? It was incredibly difficult, especially because one coach saw me in one position and a different coach that we had for the second part of the season saw me in a different position. So it's like I started all back from square one, but it was incredibly hard. I was getting used to the way things were going. I think we all were on the team, not just me as a rookie, but everyone on the team was getting used to how things were going. We all had a layout. We had a plan for the team and, you know, things happen. Life happens. It's a job. It's, it's people still, leave clubs people still decide to part ways and that's exactly what happened after the third game in the season and it was basically starting from square one again we had a massive amount of injuries at the time we had a coaching change and it definitely hindered i would say our journey this year i mean it shows in the tables unfortunately we didn't end up in a very high position this year or make playoffs but it really did hinder us all individually and as a team. And for me, finding my way, it made it even more difficult. But with that being said, I'm really happy that it did happen. It was my first year in the league, and like I said, I walked in with no expectations for me or the team. And knowing that, going through these challenges in my first year as opposed to my third when I'm super comfortable and I'm used to things being stable – it makes it a lot easier to now deal with those things if they ever do happen again or if I ever do face them in my career, which unfortunately I probably will. But, um, yeah, it made finding my way extremely difficult. But I'm extremely grateful they happened because now I know how to deal with them and the importance of navigating them with people as opposed to by yourself. My guest today is Michelle Cooper. She's one of the stars of the NWSL team here in Kansas City, the Kansas City Current. She was the number two draft pick in the draft last year. We're talking about her adjustment to playing soccer. And, you know, the the Current is is really the premier team in this league with all the things they're doing. We have a a brand-new stadium that's going to open next year, strictly a first women's professional stadium. This team has a a world-class training facility. They're doing a lot of different things. And part of the NWSL <clears throat> mandate, because of things that have happened in the league for the last couple of years with coaches who have, have not been professional, let's put it, with their behavior, the league decided that every team needs to have a mental health professional on staff, and I was hired this year to work with the team. So if you, you don't mind, Michelle, let, let's talk about that. What was it like? So, you know, when I work with teams, and I've worked with, with a lot of teams, I try to just find my way to fit in. I don't try to be pushy or demanding people that need to come talk to me. But what made your decision, and you've shared that you you work with me this year, so let's talk about that. Because I think it's important. There's a stigma, and we'll we'll go to a break here in a few minutes and get into this in our last segment. But there's a stigma about talking to a psychologist. It's, It's breaking down a lot in sports now. 
But yeah. nonetheless, they're still saying, oh, I'm not crazy. I'm not screwed up. I don't need to do that. But, you know, the, the, the role of a sports psychologist within a team is multifaceted. One of the, th- the things I do is I help people do with their lives. We talk about performance enhancement. We talk about relationships and all those types of things, team building issues and all that type of stuff. But I always talk a lot about communication and the importance about communication. When we come back from this break, I want to get into that to have you yeah. share why you decided to talk to me and the, the, the benefits you see, not necessarily from me, but from talking to someone and why this is important for young athletes who are getting into the, into the sports world to have the, the importance of mental training as well as physical training. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. My guest today is Michelle Cooper, star of the Kansas City Current. If you'd like to join us, our phone number is 913-3810-810. Give us a call and let's talk. We're on the Leader in Sports, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Lucky enough to have Michelle Cooper joining us this morning. She's one of the stars of the Kansas City Current, our NWSL team here in Kansas City. We've had a great interview talking about how she got into soccer and going to Duke and getting drafted and now playing at the professional level. So, Michelle shared that, you know, we work together this year. So let's talk about, you know, there's a stigma, Michelle, for a lot of people about talking to a psychologist. Oh, I'm not crazy. Nothing's wrong. Uh, yeah. Sports psychology is, is not about that. Although I do, I have dealt with, not you, <laughs> but I have dealt with a lot of crazy people in my career. Um, 43 years of doing this, believe me, I've had my share of interesting people. But what made you decide, choose to, to decide to talk to me and, because, you know, mental health is so important and not just, you know, in terms of performance enhancement types of things, but just the, the adjustment to life and going to a different place, a, a new job, uh, moving up a level. So you decided to come work with me. What 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 made brought that decision on? Because I think that can maybe help break the eyes for a lot of people with the decision who think about maybe I should talk to somebody. Oh, I don't want to do it. So what what made that decision come about for you? The biggest part for me was I knew it was a new environment for me. I chose to leave college because I wanted a challenge, but it was a challenge I didn't quite know how to navigate. I knew I wanted to be successful, but I didn't know what that looked like. It wasn't happening for me (laughs) in any type of way. Um, And I wanted to work through the mental struggles that I had, the pressure that I was putting on myself, the pressure that I felt from everyone else, trying to write out expectations that started to grow in my head that I felt I wasn't reaching or I felt I wasn't doing good enough. Um, And I knew that I wanted to work through those. And being mentally tough is and having a good, strong part of your mental game is something that's so vitally important, especially at the higher levels, like the D1 level and professionally especially. And for me, I found a lot of success um, when I was playing with Duke D1, and it was super easy for me to be super positive and constantly pick up my teammates and constantly find the bright side of things. But Professionally, I struggled a bit more, and I knew that to be successful, I had to change my mindset, and that was something I couldn't do on my own, and that's ultimately why I ended up coming to chat with you. What What do you think? You know, the first time someone goes and talks to a psychologist is always a little scary. Um, well, maybe not for everybody, but for a lot of people. So what was it like 
for you to make that decision to come over to you know tell me you wanted to, to talk what what was the maybe the, the final point that that emphasized i need to talk with this guy and see what what's going on it was i want to say about two ish two to three months maybe into my season at that point and i was playing and i was playing a lot but i was happy with where i stood mentally i never walked off the field satisfied i never walked out of the game satisfied with how i played and i knew that i had to change that because I was doing great things. I was creating chances for myself. I was creating chances for the team. We'd won a couple games at this point as well. We've come a really far away since where we started in the beginning of the season. And I knew that walking off the field not satisfied every game wasn't good for me. It wasn't good for the team. And I knew that at that point I needed to come chat with you because I need to change my mindset. I needed to make myself stronger mentally. I'm quite fine physically on the field. I'm quite fine emotionally, but mentally I knew I needed to be better. And the only way I was going to do that was in coming to chat with you. What, like when you say mentally there are things um, you had to change, what were those? If you can, if you can, uh, share that a little bit with our listeners because I, I what I found from talking with you and working with you is you're dealing you've had to deal with a lot of things everybody has to deal with I mean we're all people but you know no matter whether you're going from high school to college or I maybe mean, club to high school or club to college or co- college to professional there's that adjustment and I think that was part of the whole thing for you in terms I talk a lot about confidence and you're a very confident young lady but at the same time, having that confidence when you're playing at this level is a little bit different, isn't it? Yeah, it is, definitely. That's something that I struggled with. Was One of my things that I struggled with was my confidence. Um, another thing that we talked about a lot was my viewpoint on things and what I constantly run through my mind. Um, one issue that I'd always run into was constantly thinking of my mistakes or things that I don't want to do. You don't want to take a bad touch. You don't want to make a bad cross. And because of those things being on my mind, we would always say they would happen. (laughs) That was ultimately, since that's all I was thinking about, that's what I would execute. And trying to change those mental viewpoints. Don't always think about what you shouldn't do, what you can't do, what won't help you, but think about the things that will help you that you need to do envision those things and make sure that you're thinking about positive so that they become a reality instead of thinking about the things you need to improve or thinking about the negative. You know, I, I talk a lot about visualization. I've talked about it forever on this show and we talked about that. I have my visualization exercise. I know you listen to, um, Let's talk about visualization. Let's talk about why that's important and, and maybe what, what we you picked up from, from our discussions about that. I, I make sure to do it <laughs> every day, um, pretty much before, after, during training, when coaches are explaining a drill, seeing myself go through it, seeing myself execute it at a pace and technicality that I think is, acceptable that I think is the level that I want to reach and it's important it's the other half of your game that a lot of people don't talk about it's the other half of 
success that a lot of people don't talk about. Half the time, you only spend about an hour, an hour and a half on the field, maybe two hours with warm-up, six days a week, five days a week, and that's not going to be enough time to make you or make anyone one of the greatest players or the best player that they want to be. So the other half of the time where you're off the field is film, talking to coaches, talking to people, but a big part of it is visualization as well. And I spend a lot of my time visualizing myself doing things at a level that I want to be at, doing great things, doing helping teammates and all the stuff, all the positive things that I want to do on the field. I'm making sure that I visualize so that I'm able to execute come performance time. As you know, in my office, I have uh, one of the stars of the Chiefs uh, jersey, Super Bowl jersey on my um, on the wall framed. And it says uh, he wrote on there FOE, which, you know, stands for focus on effort. Yeah. And uh, he's been doing that this year and doing quite well with that. So let's talk about why the mental aspect effort is more important than results. If you put in the effort, the results will come. <laughs> That's what we talked about mm-hmm. a lot. And you can't focus on the end goal without focusing on the work that needs to be put in to get there, the effort that needs to be put in to get there. You can't go from point A to Z without hitting every single one in between. And I think that's something massive that I learned this year is when I walk off the field now, I always walk off satisfied because I know I gave it my entire effort. I had absolutely nothing left in me to give. I had nothing else left in me that I could have done to play better for myself, to set a teammate up, to win for the team, to come back from the 2-0 down that we had. I knew that I gave everything that I had every time I walked off the field and that was part of one of the mental changes that I needed to do, and it helped me find more balance and happiness and success in my mind, and both for everyone else, I was constantly happy because I focused on what needed to be done to get the results, and quite honestly, they started to come after that. Why is there a stigma with a lot of people that talk to a sports psychologist? Why do you think that that exists? I think people want to take on things themselves. I think they want to be strong. I think a lot of people may view talking to sports psychologists, any psychologist, that speaking with them makes you weak, makes you unable to figure out things by yourself, which, I mean, we're all living life for the first time. We all need to figure it out with someone. We all need to talk to someone sometimes. And I think it's important that the stigma of someone possibly being weak or someone possibly not knowing what they're doing, that that needs to be wiped away. And having someone to talk to is vitally important to success, whether you're a professional athlete, whether you're a psychologist yourself, whether, like, no matter what your profession is, I think it's incredibly important. As we wrap up things on the show here today, let's talk about perhaps the, what you learned from our sessions. Because, you know, I, I want people to understand, and, and I really, first of all, I want to say I really, really appreciate the fact you agreed to come on <clears throat> and share stuff about yourself as well as talking with me, what talking with me did for you this year. Because I want people, I want the ice to be broken 
for people about the fear of talking to someone professionally. There's, yep. it, it's a sign of strength rather than a sign of weakness, I think. Don't you agree? I, I agree, yes. So what, what do you think that, that you picked up from this? And, and you know, we'll continue uh, as we move on here. But what, what, what are the things you've picked up? And what could you encourage young athletes to do in terms of developing their mental, their mental game and why that's so important? Because I always like to say you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with a stronger mind will come out on top. 100%. I agree. I think, like I said, mental, the mental side of the game is incredibly important. And I don't think it's talked about, quite honestly enough, the importance of having a strong mind. And why? Well, excuse me. Why is it? Why, why do you think it's not talked about enough? Because of the stigma built around it. I mean, like I said, I think a lot of people view it as a negative thing, like you need help. I think it's a great thing to talk to someone. I think it's like facing your challenges, facing your fears, talking about the things you struggle with, which quite honestly is not easy and not anyone ever really wants to admit that they're struggling or that they feel like they're not doing well enough in the thing that they're meant to do, like... For me, professional soccer, it was so incredibly difficult for me to ultimately decide that I need to talk to someone about all the struggles that I'm facing, although from the outside to other people who aren't next to me every day in my journey may think that it should be incredibly easy for you. Oh, it was at Duke. Oh, it was at this tournament. Oh, it was with the national team. It's it's completely different. And talking about those fears, um, I think, is why a lot of people avoid having the conversation. Well, as we wrap things up here now on the show, Michelle, first of all, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, I want to thank you for sharing and being open about yourself, sharing the journey that you've had. It's one of the things I I really enjoy with you is your enthusiasm and and zest for learning and growing. And I think it's why, as I I watch you develop and, and continue to grow, you can see why you become successful and where you're going to go with this. I want to thank you for joining us today. And, you know, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, how can they, how can they reach you, Michelle Cooper? I think <laughs> a great way is um, come to the games. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, yes, uh, come to the games. That would help. Yeah, come to the games. Um, new stadium. Woo! But I think also I'm very active on Instagram. I do some Q&As. That's a great way to also reach out um, via Instagram. My handle is Michelle I. Cooper, and I do a lot of Q&As on my story quite often. So you can also also drop a question in there if anyone wasn't able to know. Well, Michelle Cooper of the Kansas City Current, thank you for joining me today. You're a lovely person, and I love your enthusiasm for Zest for Life, and, and thanks for sharing yourself with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Jacobs. It was great. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Hope you enjoyed the show. Our shows are podcasted everywhere. Check out all the major podcast apps. Go to my website, winnersunlimited.com. You can find them there. If you want to get a hold of me, give me a call at 816-561-5556. My email is drj at winnersunlimited.com. That's W-I-N-N-E-R-S unlimited.com. Have a great week. Stay safe. We'll talk to you next Sunday here on The Leader in Sports, Sports Radio 810 WHB.